I was sincerely content with my boring, ordinary testimony, and I was very grateful for what God had given me. And I also knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I had a story, I would not want to get up in front of a ton of people and share it. But even though I protest, God has given me a story, and I think you will see illustrated that I'm fearful and many times faithless, that the prayers of our friends and family are powerful, and that God is the only one that can comfort us and give us hope. In just a few short days, my family will celebrate the birthday of our son Noah, who should be turning 12, and we will celebrate, but he won't be with us. Because eight years ago, we joined an elite group, a group that includes John Bates' parents. It is a group no one wants to be a part of. It is a group of parents who've had to bury their children. Some people say that this is a tragedy that no one can recover from, that it is the worst grief any parent can experience, and it might be. But I do have hope, because at the beginning of my story, I was chosen and adopted, and I don't know why God chose me. In fact, I've always been acutely aware that I was blessed in my childhood by being born into a family of believing parents who loved God and taught me about Jesus. My parents gave me a huge gift because the biblical truths that they taught me were what brought me comfort through some of my hardest days. After an amazing childhood, I found myself at Covenant College because that is just the natural choice for a wise 18-year-old to make. <laughs> at college, my life continued to be full of great blessings. One of those blessings I met halfway through my freshman year, my husband Troy. I won't go into our dating story, although it might sound familiar to a lot of your stories right now. Suffice it to say, we both had sworn off dating that year. He, because he was a fifth year senior, and he thought it might be time to buckle down and do some studying. <laughs> and, and he also really wanted to be able to concentrate on his final year of soccer. And me, because I was a freshman and thought dating might get in the way of my studies. That isn't exactly true, but it sounds good for the record. Well, we both ended up breaking our no dating policy, and the short version, version is we fell in love and got married. Um, so we got married, and life continued to be easy and comfortable and full of blessings. Troy came to work at Covenant, his dream job, for real, and I taught for a couple years, and then we started uh, to have our four perfectly planned out children, right on schedule, according to our plans. We really did believe that the grass was greener on our side of the fence, and we were incredibly thankful for that fact. The summer of 2005 was typical of most of our summers, and so in August we found ourselves headed up to New Hampshire, where Troy's family has had a lake home for three generations. The lake is a beautiful destination because it so clearly shows God's glory and its scenery. We spend almost every waking moment outside. The kids are never bored because they are playing in the sand and water all day, and we have wonderful family memories from each summer trip. It is truly a little piece of heaven on earth. So after a couple relaxing and fun-filled days in our little paradise, on a Wednesday night, a bunch of our friends and family were sitting on the beach watching some of the kids run and splash in the water when all of a sudden, our four-year-old Noah started running funny and he cried out. Even at the time, when I was still under the impression that nothing bad could happen to us, I knew something was terribly wrong. Troy ran to him and grabbed him before he could go under the water. We raced to the front of the house while someone called 911. And there my husband performed CPR on my son while I prayed. And we desperately waited for the ambulance. But even the ER, they couldn't save our sweet Noah. The next days and weeks were a blur. 
And it was an uncertain and scary time because we didn't even know what had caused Noah's death. And it took months to find out that Noah had had an undetected heart condition that he should have died from before the age of one. God had given him to us for three extra years. And we were immensely grateful for those three extra years, but we now were forever changed. There was a gaping hole in our lives, and I was definitely more fearful for the health and well-being of our other children. And the grieving process was so wearing. And so we clung to God like never before. And the words of truth that we had been taught for years, and the prayers of friends and family, and actually people in the body of Christ that we never met, carried us and God comforted us. And our eyes and our children's eyes became more focused on heaven. And we could clearly understand for the first time what God meant when he said, this life is like a vapor and this is not our home. Because I was suddenly so needy, I was reading the Bible like never before and trying desperately to hear God's voice. So when I started feeling like God was telling us to trust him and have more children, I felt quite apprehensive, to put it lightly. So I decided to make a deal with God. We're not even going to go into the theological implications of this. But I made a deal that went something like this. God, you're going to have to give us a big sign because I'm not sure I can handle adding to our family. And I'm definitely not sure I'm hearing your voice correctly. And that is when I started to see the word adoption, like it was in big flashing neon letters everywhere. And I thought, oh no, why would God be calling a wounded, grief-stricken family to adoption? I knew that adoption was a beautiful thing, but adoption can be messy and it isn't always safe and there are a whole host of problems with adoptions that people are only too willing to tell you about. But in our total reliance on God and trying to listen hard to his voice over the voices in my head, we started to consider adoption, even though I'm sure people thought we were crazy or perhaps so grief-stricken that we weren't making logical decisions or maybe that we were trying to replace our lost child. But this definitely was not our idea. I truly believe that because of our seriously broken state, we were much more willing to listen to the sound of his voice. And I'm so thankful now that we did. For about a year, I continued to be bombarded from every side with information about adoption. In fact, we even filled out some initial paperwork. And Troy couldn't understand why I just didn't turn it in. I told him that I felt so strongly that God was telling us to adopt that as soon as we turned in the paperwork, there would be a baby. He patiently told the crazy lady, me, that adoption just generally doesn't work that way. And then he reminded me that the timeline we had been given for adoption would be two years to possibly never. But again, I was fearful of the unknown, and once again, our dear family and friend, friends prayed, and God sustained us. And after a year of wrestling with God, I finally turned in the paperwork to start the process. And sure enough, four days later, we got a call that there was a little newborn baby waiting for us down at Erlanger Hospital. We named him Drew Jonathan, Jonathan meaning Jehovah gave. He came into our lives on September 14, 2008, and I can tell you that he has been an amazing gift. He is full of life and energy, and he is loud, and he has a spark in his eye that not only has saved him on occasion, but that also so clearly marks him as a Dougal. Ever since God blew us away with Drew's adoption, we have been considering adopting internationally. But in my mind, there have been three major roadblocks, or sorry, excuses. International adoption is too expensive, it takes too long, and how do you choose a child out of the millions who need a home? Well, just in the past month, God has actually knocked all three of those roadblocks down through amazing circumstances 
and we are headed to Uganda sometime this year to meet a five-year-old boy, Ezra Derrick, that God has led us to out of the millions of children out there. It is overwhelmingly powerful to see what great lengths God will go to place a child in a family. And that is what I love about adoption and adoption stories. They so clearly show that God orchestrates all of it and it is completely out of our control. And you so clearly see your need of him through the process. Now, please don't leave today thinking, wow, I'm gonna have to go through something horribly tragic and then I will have to adopt 10 kids. <laughs> yes, you will experience some form of suffering in this life. In fact, some of you have already experienced huge suffering. But what I hope you hear today is how grateful we should be for our own adoption. As children of the living God, not only do we have comfort, but great hope. In closing, I wanna share a brief story that includes our son Noah, who's living in heaven, and our youngest son Drew, who is four. They never got to meet each other this side of heaven, but we are so thankful that they share an eternal home. This story, I think, sums up all that I've been trying to say. In just a couple days, on April 24th, we will head to the cemetery on the back of Lookout Mountain. In the past, we have celebrated Noah on his birthday in that place of death, because we know the truth, that he is not there but safe in heaven. And our children have actually grasped that truth a lot more quickly than we have. In fact, in years past, they have run freely through the cemetery, flown kites, played with toys that have been left there by friends, and laughed with real joy while releasing balloons up in the sky. And apparently, Drew really enjoys our celebrations at the cemetery, because the other day as we drove past Noah's Cemetery, Drew, who loves baseball, thanks to our neighbors, the Simons, piped up from the back seat in a very loud and super excited voice. Hey, I've got a great idea. How about for my next birthday, we have a baseball party at Noah's Cemetery? And even though this made me laugh and cry, I do believe that we as Christians, because of our great hope, should all live our lives more like that, longing to play baseball and cemeteries. Now, I would like to do, introduce another Covenant grad who not only is one of my friends who steadfastly prayed for our family through so much, but also, surprise, surprise, she is a fellow adoptive mom and founder of Lookout for Orphans. I think most of our friends would describe her as a prayer warrior, but I also love her boldness. Here's a quick story so you get a glimpse into her personality and why I so appreciate our friendship. When we were asked to speak on adoption for this chapel, I, of course, was trying to come up with every excuse why it not, might not be a good idea. And she very graciously, but with passion, said, Sarah, if God has given us a ministry called Look Out for Orphans, and we don't take every opportunity we have to speak out for the orphan, then what are we doing? And so, you see, of course, I said yes to speaking, and that is why I'm up here. But I am now truly thankful to turn it over to my friend, Carly Hilger. Please join me in welcoming her. Wow, that was amazing. What an honor it is to be here celebrating this Spirit of Friendship Award and the memory of Danny. And um, as I reminisce about my time at Covenant. My husband, Eddie Hilger, were both graduates of the class of 95, which makes me feel really old. But I can assure you, I never thought I'd be standing up here speaking in chapel. 
and especially on a topic like friendship and adoption. And when we were asked to do this, I had a hard time putting the two together for a while. And I was in the car and I was praying and I said, Lord, I have no idea how to kind of wed the two. And it was as if he said, okay, picture your recent adoption of Curvin's. Take out all the friends in that equation. And what do you have? And I said, I have no adoption. And it was very clear that the two were inseparable. Because you see, it was a friend, Sarah Duval, who first awakened me to the needs of orphans. Watching her and Troy adopt little Drew made me realize that the Bible is clear that we're supposed to care for orphans and widows. And if you'd given me a blank piece of paper and said, write down every widow's name you know, I could have put some names down. And I was caring for them. I knew them, I checked on them, I loved them. If you gave me a blank piece of paper and said, write down every orphan's name you know, I didn't know one, not one. So we began praying and asking the Lord, what does he want us to do with this idea of this orphan ministry and um, we wanted to raise funds to help families who uh, wanted to adopt because that's a huge financial burden and barrier for people who want to adopt and I just wanted Troy makes fun of me about this because he's a fundraiser and he asked me what my vision was for our fundraising and I said I want a big bowl of money and I want it to never be empty, and I want it to flow out to families in need that we can help adoption. And he laughed in my face, actually. <laughs> but strangely enough, a few months later, I was in the car again, and it was, it was as if the Lord was saying, are you going to give me your lunch or not? I just listened to a sermon on the little boy who gave his lunch, and the Lord was saying, are you going to give me your lunch or not with this whole orphan thing? And I said, A, I don't have a lunch. I don't know what you're talking about. B, I know nothing of orphan care. I don't know a single orphan I can put on a piece of paper. And my husband says, we will never adopt. So there. And the Lord just kept saying, do I have your lunch or not? And so finally, by the time I got to the bottom of the mountain through tears, I said, you can have my lunch. I don't know what that means, and I don't know why you're asking me that. But I'm giving you what lunch you apparently think I have to further orphan causes and care. So shortly after that, a friend of ours came up and said, I'd like to provide the seed money of $30,000 to get you started with your orphan ministry that is now called Look Out for Orphans. We give direct grants, matching grants, loans, all kinds of really cool things to families in need for adoptions. So far, we've helped 19 children come home from 15 different families, adopting them, and uh, eight different countries. It's really cool, and that's, that's happened in three years. So it was not long after that that a friend approached Eddie and I and said, I'm going to Haiti in two weeks. Y'all want to come? And we both were a little freaked out but said, yes, we do. I need, I need a name on my piece of paper. I need to know an orphan. I need to touch one. So we went to Haiti back in October of 2010, and the first night that I was there, the biggest brownest eyes you've ever seen looked at me through the bars or crib, cage, whatever you want to call him, and I stroked his little arm as he fell asleep, and we became inseparable that week, and my husband, wow, oh, I'm the one that cries, seriously. <laughs> my husband grabbed me and 
pulled me back in the tent with Curvin's. I had him with me, of course. And he said, honey, what, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And I said, all I know is if I'm face to face with Jesus Christ, and he says, why wouldn't you let this little one into your home? I don't have an answer. I don't. And I said, do you have an answer? And he broke down and said, I don't either. So we began the process of adoption for little Curvin's. And it was friends that held us up through two and a half grueling years of paperwork and setbacks and thinking we lost him and getting him back. And it was those same crazy friends that just a few weeks ago were in our yard at 3 a.m. in the morning, freezing cold, to welcome us home from the Atlanta airport with signs and balloons and it's been the same friends that have brought us meals every other night since then to just encourage us so the spirit of friendship has been the foundation of our awakening to the needs of orphans and I thought wouldn't it be neat if y'all made it your summer project covenant students to come back to covenant next fall with the list of orphans they're under your nose in children's homes you can go play with foster families' kids just to give them a little hour break. You can start planning a trip somewhere, but get some names on the piece of paper this summer if you can. And the spirit of friendship is alive and well on this mountain and around this college campus. And whether that spirit has the job of encouraging someone who's been separated from a loved one by death, as they did when Danny passed away and when little Noah passed away, or if that spirit is encouraging a family to pursue adoption and they're scared to death, or that spirit is encouraging a friend to walk away from the sin that so easily entangles them. It's all the same. The verse that is the theme of this award is, let your light so shine before others that they see your good works and they point to the Lord and say, glory be to him. So all praise and glory to the Lord for what he's doing in our midst. This covenant community is so special up here. And it will be exciting to see how the Lord will use your light that shines before others. What good works will they see? And then be able to say, good glory to God for what I've just seen. So I'm excited to see who has been chosen for this year's Spirit of Friendship Award. Thank you. It is true, Matthew 5.16 states, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to Father, your Father in heaven. The Spirit of Friendship Award is not an award to boast one's self-esteem or an attempt to put man on a pedestal. It is an award to let one know that they are recognized as a reflection of light, light that is fueled by God alone. This award is a tribute to our heritage of Christian brotherhood a brotherhood of believers joined together by the adoption by our Heavenly Father. The Spirit of Friendship Award was founded through the sting of death, and yet it is an award that celebrates the victory of Christ over death. When my brother Danny was killed on this mountain three weeks before I graduated, I was ushered to the throne of mercy by people who put their faith into practice. They showed me compassion, when I was hurting, they were strong when I was weak, and they definitely were guiding me when I was lost. 
They were my friends and they showed me love. The Spirit of Friendship Award is a way for me and my family to say thank you to a group of people who are no longer here and also to recognize that that same love still exists here in this place. This love is manifested through individuals who set themselves apart, even on this campus. This award goes to a person who best demonstrates the essence of what it means to be a light in this world, who reflects Christ's love by meeting the needs of those around them, a true friend. We recognized him or her through the Spirit of Friendship Award, which is funded by the Danny Leslie Bates Memorial Scholarship Fund. And over the years, our family, friends, and Covenant alumni have um, contributed to this endowment. So on behalf of my family, and in memory of my brother, Danny Leslie Bates, I'm honored to present the Spirit of Friendship Award to Mary Catherine Kinnert. As you can tell, it's not a surprise to everyone. <laughs> this is Mary Catherine's family. It's an honor that you all would come from Morgantown to celebrate. So thank you. Again, come on over here because now you get to speak. No. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. And uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, I feel like I was sort of robbed of an opportunity to say thank you to my friends who left so quickly. So this is my opportunity to pick somebody out and just say thank you for what you do on this campus has an impact like you would never know and and it's the little things in life of loving your neighbor selfishly as Christ loved you and it makes a difference and you've been recognized I don't get to pick you didn't know you till just a couple days ago <laughs> but it is an honor that they picked you and uh, uh, again I like to present this there's a there's an award of three thousand dollars that will uh, keep you here next year, that we're honored to give you and do what you do. I've asked Jacob to come back and let's close. If y'all would stand and the, the hymn is on the back, the college hymn, and we'll sing and be dismissed. And thank you all so much.